do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 19. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. I'm recording this week's episode about five days after I submitted the manuscript for the fourth edition of the Learning to Teach Design and Technology in the Secondary School book. It's taken quite a while from the initial proposal back in October 2018, I think is when I started this, right through to this point where all 20 chapters have been sent off to Routledge with all the other materials and matter that have to be submitted at the same time. It's been a new process for me this time to be the editor of the book, whereas in the third edition, I was a contributor for two chapters that I co-authored with Sarah Davis. So in this episode, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an idea about some of the new things that are going to be happening in this book or some of the new chapters and some of the ways that I've changed parts of the structure It was great to build on a very well-established book edited by Gwyneth Owen-Jackson. Gwyneth had been one of my PhD supervisors and I knew she was a really good editor. She'd helped me edit my PhD thesis and obviously I'd had a couple of chapters that I'd done in books with her as well. So I I was aware of some of those processes, but actually stepping into and picking up the mantle of editing a book was a completely different experience and it was great at the start of the process to have Gwyneth there on the end of the telephone for me to chat through with her some of the ideas and to learn from her experiences of editing the previous three editions. And some of you may have used those three editions if you're a design and technology teacher you might have a copy on your shelf and I'm hoping that when the fourth edition comes out if you do get a copy whether for yourself or your student teachers or if you're mentoring a new teacher in your department, you might find it useful, that you'll see that in general, I've kept the essence of what Gwyneth started. The book is about design and technology education in its widest sense. And there was some debate as I was writing the proposal, given some of the changes that have happened in England about whether food should remain as a single chapter or as one of the chapters within the book. But at no point for me was there a debate that it wouldn't be because food is still a material in the Key Stage 3 lower secondary curriculum in England. So for me, it still had a place. And I'm really glad that Marion Rutland and Angela Turner have updated that chapter and also brought in some new thinking about some work that they've been doing, exploring um, academic post-16 qualifications and some of the research they've been doing around food technology. So that's one of the 
potentially what could have been quite a change was taking the chapter out but leaving it in some people might say well does that move the book forward but I still believe that that is an essential component of design and technology. There are three new chapters in the book and I was thrilled that Steve Curl, um, a reader from Goldsmith University, contributed to the book for the first time. It's part of Steve's expertise and, and he has, has much expertise in the field of design and technology education is around critique and he's brought a new dimension for as I suppose really in England is using this word critique. I know people like David Barlex and Richard Kimball have done some work around this in the past and Steve has a real history in this from his experience in Australia and how they brought critique in as a third component of design and technology education there. So it's it's great to have that chapter and, um, and I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, it's a challenge, it'll make you think, but I think it brings something new to the book. Another new chapter is by a uh, current, currently a student on the master's course, which I lead, Rebecca Topps, about post-16 routes. More and more, I feel that uh, design and technology teachers are being called upon to talk to students about what options there are post-16. And this short chapter just gives a flavour of some of the routes that are available, primarily in England and Wales, although three colleagues from Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales have added to this chapter. And Rebecca has given a really good foundation for student teachers who potentially are only aware of their own experiences post-16. And it kind of gives them a wider idea about what's available post-16 that's related to design and technology education. So that's the second new chapter. The third new chapter is the final chapter in the book, and that's by Professor Stephanie Atkinson, who's from the University of Sunderland. And it's about design and technology education research. So it's about how can student teachers, and as they move into uh, the teaching profession, use design and technology education research? Where can they find it? So she talks about some of the journals and the conferences that happen internationally in the field. And she also gives a general overview and some good stepping stones into how a student teacher and a newly qualified teacher, and as they move through their career, can engage in creating research or doing studies on their own classrooms and their own departments. So those are three new chapters that are in the book. Um, it hopefully will be out later this year in time for the September academic year for the new cohort of student teachers. I know the book is used internationally, so there are international aspects of the book talking about curriculum and content from other parts of the world. It is generally England and Wales uh, and UK centric, but there are elements there that have tried to make this book appealing to as wide an audience as possible. If you want to read the abstracts for each of the chapter, I've made them available on my website and I will put a link in the show notes so you can have a look at those and just get a little bit more of an idea about what's going on and what will be coming up in the book when it comes out later in the year. So for those of you who have a copy from the first three editions, I hope that's kind of giving you an idea about why it might be worth getting the fourth copy. And I'll talk a little bit in another podcast about some of the other chapters and how they've also been updated that might convince you that this new fourth edition is an essential copy to have on your bookshelves. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison 
show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening.